Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello. Before we start this episode of the MMA Fan Podcast, we need to tell you about our sponsor, Free Train. Free Train do these fantastic running vests for you to run in, hit the bag in, and they keep your phone close to your chest. No more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket when you run or at an awkward angle on your arm. You can keep it on your chest with easy access to your phone whenever you go training. And uh, what can the people do, Stu, if they want to get a vest? Simple. Head over to www.freetrain.com. Have a look. See what you like. And when you pop it in the basket, just before you check out, pop in the code MMAFAN save yourself 10%. I mean, don't ever let it be said we don't spoil you here on this podcast. www.freetrain.com. Go check them out. Excellent stuff. Right, on with the show. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We literally, I don't think we've ever done that before. I don't think we've both said hello at the same time, but we did. It's happened. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. As you can see, this is probably somewhere in the 30s in terms of number of episodes we've done, and we still can't get the intro right. I know. I know. Um, it's pretty shocking, but no one cares about that. What they care about is we got an absolutely incredible guest on today we've only recently finished recording with him we actually recorded the outro before we recorded the intro just now mm. because we were just buzzing off of uh off yeah. of talking to mark and it was uh it was great i say i say mark it's mark goddard mark goddard it's just my mate mark mate don't worry about it me and me and me old mucker mark um yeah it's mark goddard uh probably the the arguably the best referee in mixed martial arts at the moment. Absolutely fantastic. Thoughts. Absolutely fantastic. And, oh, we have a phenomenal chat with him. Yeah. Uh, we, he, he brings up the whole uh, Gilbert Burns, Wonderboy Thompson fight that happened only uh, recently. Um, and those alleged shots to the back of the head, which actually weren't shots to the back of the head. If yeah. you've seen on Twitter the, um, the angle and the slow-mo camera of that, you'll realise that it, all the shots were kind of on the shoulder and the back. And, mm -hmm. and Mark talks about that and he talks about the kind of the general social media kind of trolling and nonsense he has to put up with, um, which some of it is absolutely horrendous as well, I have absolutely. to say, like really awful stuff that, you know, you wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, 
So yeah, we we talk about that and and, and much more. What 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 are your favourite bits, Stu? Um, I really liked. Uh, obviously, I want to ask him about um, his his actual courses that he does. I think that's really interesting. You know, giving back and, and bringing through you know future generations of, of refs and helping other people get a clearer idea of the sort of scoring procedure and what you know what an official has to do. I think that was really really interesting. Um, finding out about you know how it works with the UFC, like you know when. When you know you're going to get an event, you know, like um, the, the recent 264 that, that Mark was at, like how far in advance do you, you know, know that you're going to get taken to that event? And, you know, do you know who you're going to be refing? And if you've had, you know, altercations or instances or bad decisions that have been, you know, questioned by the media, does that have any impact on you refing them fighters' fights in the future? We, we go in and... Uh, yeah, there's absolutely no fat on this one. He's he's just a absolutely cracking podcast. Absolutely. Well, you, you've sold it to me, mate. I'm going to go and listen to it again. Uh... Absolutely, do it. <laughs> and we should say as well, if this is your first time listening uh, to the MMA Fan Podcast, um, once you can get over just how unprofessional Blake and I are at trying to just say hello, um, <laughs> <laughs> bear with them bits because what you will, you know, the payoff is you get to listen to our conversations with some of the greatest athletes uh, in, in the MMA sport. And, you know, we, we've spoken to, you know, only recently, Tyron Woodley, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, um, Paddy Pimlet, Jack Shaw, Arnold Allen, Molly McCann. Help me out, Blake. Uh, uh, Angela Brad Hill. Pickett. Angela Brad Pickett. Hill. Angela Hill. Uh, God, who have we left out? Would you say Arnold Allen? Uh yeah, it's just so many. Paul Craig recently yeah. as well, after his massive win recently. Um, it's just been so many. I'm, I'm starting to feel bad because I feel like every time we do a little shout out to all the episodes we've done, I'm, we're probably yeah. forgetting people because we've now done yeah. so many episodes. Um, but yeah. go out and check out the back catalogue because, again, the beauty of them is is that it's not just about who they fought recently or who they're fighting next. These are in-depth interviews talking to these fighters about how they deal with you know, social media, mental health, uh, uh, how they got into the sport to begin with, how they deal with with confrontation, any of those things, things nerves, that, you know, yeah. yeah, nerves, all of that stuff, weight cuts. So you're getting an insight into who this fighter is and who they are as a martial artist throughout their career, not just this one snippet of of, of their career, you know, and, and that's yeah. what we, we really want to do with this podcast. And also we got the, the some of the fight or flight episodes and special kind of like uh, famous faces episodes yeah. where you get like James Arthur, Stephen Dorff, who was talking about his new movie and playing a, a, a mixed martial artist and the training he had to do for that and the mindset of that. And then as I've mentioned, James Arthur, who's a huge uh, um, MMA fan. Uh, and then we've had people like uh, Lee Mack, uh, ben Shepard, uh, Emily Head, and Laura Checkley, who had never Absolutely. really much M- watched much MMA at all, ever. Yeah. And we got them to watch a classic fight, and, and we kind of talked about it, broke it down, and saw what their kind of opinions on MMA, MMA were before and after watching the fight, and that's all really good fun as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So go go get stuck in. And, and we've got plenty more coming your way as well, so the best thing to do is subscribe, and then that way you won't miss anything. But for now... Do you want to do the intro? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mark Goddard. You can tell you're famous. You can tell <laughs> that, like, the way you've done that, then. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we've got another sponsor to tell you about. 
feel supreme. They're a nationally recognised brand who offer only the very highest quality of natural supplements. Their extensive range includes a range of medicinal mushrooms, nootropics, anti-aging products, gut support products, green powders, vitamins and much more. They've worked with fighters from all the top promotions including the UFC, Bellator, Brave and Cage Warriors with a solid reputation of providing results. Check them out on Instagram at Phil underscore Supreme and their website, philsupreme.co.uk. And make sure you use the code MMAFAN for 15% off your first order. Phil Supreme. Okay, welcome to the podcast today, Mark Goddard. How you doing? Good, guys. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you too, mate. Lovely stuff. Mark, we always start the, the, the podcast, whether they're fighters, referees. Um, and obviously, we, we know you know a lot about uh your your background but we want to know how you found yourself in the world of mma how i found myself mm-hmm. um <laughs> going back a long time um mma i was fortunate enough to be um i was here pretty much when it arrived on these shores uh, just before the turn of the millennium um like where where i lived i was training in um still training in the traditional arts. My background... Where, like, where was that, Mark? In Birmingham. Birmingham. So that, that's... that's Because everybody jumps on, they go, where the fuck? He says he's from Scotland, he's from... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was born in I was born in Glasgow. My parents were, were Scottish. Uh, I lived there till I was... Uh, I was a young boy, lived there till I was about nine years old. And then my mum remarried. And then I grew up in... Uh, moved to Birmingham, so... I was when people say like, oh, you know, my mum will kick the shit out of me because she's told me all my life. People say, oh, you're English. No, 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 I'm not English. But when they hear me talk, everybody thinks I'm English, but I'm pre-programmed to tell everybody, no, I'm Scottish. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I'm a proud Brit for, for sure, but I'm not English. So yeah, so I'll just say because I have people like every day, like tagging me on Instagram and stuff, and the guys are arguing. You know, they say, oh, Mark's from Scotland. Then someone, like, what are you talking about? I've heard him speak. He's from England. <laughs> I'll just clear that one up. To be but, fair, um, I did. I just assumed you were from Birmingham because of your accent. And there was what? even like, when I was when I was doing my very, very posh research on you, uh, Mark, uh, there was a, 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 like a YouTube video that someone had put together and they were like, counting down like how various referees got into the sport and they literally describe you as super English referee, Mark Goddard. <laughs> like That's super a T-shirt English. right now. <laughs> super <laughs> English. <laughs> My mum would go berserk. <laughs> yeah, so no, I am a, I'm a, I'm a proud Brit, 100%. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, Scottish, not English. But yeah, in Birmingham, so going back to the question with MMA, yeah, you know, I was fortunate to, to be there at the, you know, at the start. Um, and and obviously when MMA first started finding its way over to these shores, then people started cross-training. And we heard, you know, when Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and funnily enough, you know, Birmingham was actually one of the epicenters for the growth of, Birmingham uh, for the growth of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Europe. Uh, a guy by the name of Mauricio Gomez, who's Roger, Roger Gracie's father. Um, you guys have heard of Roger Gracie, yeah. obviously, arguably the greatest Jiu-Jitsu exponent that's ever lived. Mm. Um, his dad left Brazil and was taking Jiu-Jitsu around the world, 
and uh, of all places, he decided to settle. It was Birmingham, <laughs> and um, and that was kind of like the, the the beginning of um, that was the beginning of my journey. And you know, fast forward to what twenty two years later, here we are. So, like, wait, you say you um, so you you started jujitsu. How old were you when you started jujitsu? It's funny because as a kid, you know, I was I was trying. I never took anything serious. I dabbled in various things. Um, and, and various arts and various sports. And then it was actually, that's what I'm a firm believer in fate. You know, I think everything's mapped out for you. I moved house. Um, I was 20, 26 at the time, 25, just going 26. And my next door neighbor at the time, like I said, this is just at this before the turn of the millennium. And my next door neighbor at the time, he was uh, unbeknownst to me, obviously he was a, uh, a Japanese jiu-jitsu instructor. That's what got me back into training. And then he he knocked the door one day, he said, oh, you know, I'm Paul, I'm your next-door neighbour, blah, 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 blah. Do you like fighting? I'm like, well, hang on a minute, eh? What? <laughs> hang on. And uh, he said, look, um, and he and it's like it's like the most fabled story. It's like the cliche. He gave me um, uh, old uh, uh, tapes, VHS tapes, Maybe some of your listeners are like, what the fuck are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, gave, we remember them very clearly. Yeah, he, he gave me tapes of um, the first three or four UFCs. And he's like, listen, I teach um, a traditional jiu-jitsu in, in Tamworth. You know, if you want to come along one day. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And then I sat and watched these videotapes. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what's that? And I went back to, I went to try him and his club. And uh, like I said, fast forward many years, I've never looked back. When I got back into training, I, I never took a break again. So you, you, so you, you mainly started as an adult, not as a kid. Seriously, yes, for sure. Seriously, in training, I was an adult. Yeah. So how were so how were you as a kid? And we like to ask a lot of fighters about this. And obviously, you have had a fight career as well. But like, how were you with dealing with like confrontation as a kid? I mean, you say you moved from from Scotland to Birmingham at nine years old. I'd imagine that with a, a Scottish accent, maybe people were taking the mick out of you or anything like that. So were you someone like, I, I look at you and I think you're a big lad. I wouldn't want to mess with you. <laughs> so, but do you, do, were you always someone that could maybe deal well with confrontation or would you be someone that shied away from confrontation and martial arts was maybe something that you did as a result of confrontation or to give you more confidence in that situation? How, how were you with that? Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> that's a good question because, yeah, you, everybody says, you know, uh, you know, when they meet me, they go, fucking hell, you're big. Yeah, especially with MMA fans, they go, oh, you're so big. I go, yes, yeah, so I fucking remember when you talk shit online. But a lot of people say that. And it's weird because as a kid, like football was my love as a sport. Like I said, I tried different things. And, and my martial arts journey, I didn't start back and take it serious till I was an adult, like I said, just before the turn of the, the millennium. And obviously, when I went back with the story of my uh, next-door neighbour going back to traditional uh, uh, jiu-jitsu uh, and then moving into wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and MMA, um, like I said, I never stopped. But as a kid... Um, like a young, t- yes, and it's it's funny you say that because moving from Scotland to England was it wasn't nice sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when you go to school, you know, as ki- kids are, 
because kids don't know, you know, we, we don't, as children, they, they don't understand consequence, do they? You know, so it was kind of, yeah, it was a bit tough. And I can't, it kind of forced the accent out of me. Obviously, I was a young boy as well. But, uh, but, but growing up here, yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of tough, but not as tough as where I came from. You know, I was born in, I was born in Glasgow and uh, the parts of Glasgow I lived, I, you know, my mum was, she was a single mum at the time and it was, uh, it was a rough place, but mm. I wouldn't swap it for the world because, you know, it's kind of, it's the character of, it, it makes me build who I am today. But sorry, just go back to that thing about yeah, being a big guy. I wasn't always like that. I remember one of my friends, I hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks and he came to the house and I opened the door. He's like, fucking hell, what's happened to you? (laughs) It was was kind of like, um, you remember the film with Tom Hanks, Big? I just... just, (laughs) None of your clothes fitting anymore. (laughs) I went to bed one day and I woke up I woke up messing. Because I was always kind of like... And at school, funnily enough, I said football and and athletics. I, I was... I was actually, uh, cross-country mile was my thing. And uh, I was quite proud of holding a record. I had um, a school and county record at cross-country mile when I was about 14, 15. Wow. And obviously, the size I am, I'm not built for running now. You know, running yeah. not for big guys. But yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was always a big guy. I must have just been a, a late developer, a late bloomer. Yeah, no, I, I've got the body type for like a long distance runner, that very tall, skinny. I mean, I haven't actually got any cardio. I look like I should have, but I don't. But, uh, but yeah. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned your journey uh, in, in MMA so far, Mark. And if you sort of cast your mind back over, you know, from the beginnings to where we're at now, what significant changes have you seen in, in MMA? Christ, how long have you got? <laughs> as long as you want, mate. We're here all day. Like back in the day, you know, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything, any of the circumstances and experiences I've had in MMA. Um, we'll keep it for MMA right now. I wouldn't change them for the world because, you know, being there from the start and obviously um, watching how the sport evolved, you know, when we first started fighting, we were fighting on open tatamis and rings before the first the first cage that came to the UK was 2002. Um, and, and it was actually, there was a bit of an argument over who was the first guy, but I, I know you spoke to Graham, didn't you? Yeah. You spoke to Graham yeah. Cage because I saw the thing there because obviously Cage Warriors, Cage Warriors have been around since 2002. Mm. Now, Mike, I've been working with the guys for... 16, close on 17 years. That's how far back I'll go with them before the previous owners. Uh, before Graham, they had the, they had a couple of different owners. Then they went away for a while. But obviously, Cage Warriors, once Graham got hold of them, you know, he transformed them, you know, in, into what they are now. But Cage Warriors was one of the first, um, you know, I'm going to say that the first cage was actually in Portsmouth in 2002. Um, so going back through all them days, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was mad, and you know, I kind of went through the thing. And everybody, we had the whole thing about everybody wanted to be a cage fighter, and we had to live obviously as a martial artist first. For, coming from a traditional background, I didn't really like that. Um, so I've kind of seen everything go up and down, and then obviously watching the sport develop into into what it is now. Um, we had, we didn't have a clue back then, you know. Um, where it was going to go. And obviously me as an official, as people know me best, 
Um, yeah, I've competed, I've, I've fought, and obviously and, and, and trained most of my life, if not all, and in various forms, jiu-jitsu and grappling, wrestling. But um, yeah, watching the sport, like I said, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and condense it into a three or four minute answer, but it could go off in, in so many different tangents and then, and then look at where we are now. But back in the day, we didn't have a clue where this was going. Well, you mentioned like, you know, how people know you now as a ref, but you know, you were a, a, a fighter. And am I right in saying that you got an injury that meant you couldn't carry on fighting? Is that right? Or have I got that wrong? Not really. Um, I mean, I've got injuries, tons of them. (laughs) (laughs) And you get to my age, you know, and training as long as we have. Yeah, you get injuries. But it was kind of like um, when I was competing, um, I used to, like the mental aspect of competing, I found it difficult to deal with. Um, Like when I first started fighting, you know, in professional mode in MMA, you know, I came on and and I'd won my first few fights. And then when I'd lost, like I couldn't deal with it. And then it was like, I remember I was doing a, 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 another podcast, funnily enough, with a guy called Daniel. You, heard, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Daniel Strauss, he's the, the commentator who was at Cage Warriors. Yeah, yes, yeah, oh, yeah. Dan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dan Strauss. And I sat down to do his podcast a, a few years ago and... I didn't mean to talk about it, but it just all came out. And then I was talking about my journey as a fighter. And I wanted, of course, everybody sets out your dreams, aspirations. I wanted to be the best in the world. I wasn't, you know, I won more fights than I lost. And obviously I was, I had some very good success with jujitsu and, and submission grappling too. But there came a point when I was like acceptance. And I think that's a very important word for people, irrespective of what your but you know what what your vocation or your job is i think it's something that's devoid of a lot of people you, you sometimes you've got to sit down and look and, and and understand where you are and then obviously like i said unbeknown to me completely by accident which is why i believe in fate in 2004 
there was a, a, an event I was going to compete on and, and I was injured. And he's a friend of mine, still, still is a very good friend of mine. He was running the event. Something happened to one of the refs and he said to me, you got a ref? And I was like, ah? And, and I didn't even think about it. And like I said, this was 2004. So, you know, when I first started refereeing, it was completely by accident. And then everything was, I was coaching fighters and being, you know, inextricably linked with the scene, so in-depth. We were kind of doing everything. And then this thing just took off. And then I, I remember I actually went away for, a, a, I'd lost a particular fight and uh, in, I'd fought at Wembley. And it was on Sky Sports and I'd quit, I'd give up on the fight. And I was like, fuck it now, you know, I was, I was in tears and everything. Like, That's it, I'm not doing it. And then I actually, I went away for a couple of years, not stopped. I went just back to boxing and, and wrestling, like to fix the mental aspect. And then I came back at a lighter weight, a light heavyweight where I should have been all along. And I'd never lost when I came back. I had another three fights. I'd never lost at that weight. But everything was moving at the same time. I was gaining notoriety as a ref. The UFC had already contacted me. Uh, I was actually going to, funnily enough, here's a mad one. Uh, back then, in 2000, uh, just after Michael had done The Ultimate Fighter, I was going to do The Ultimate Fighter. No. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I remember doing the, the audition tapes and everything um, and, and spoke to them. And I was like... You know, I sat down and thinking, look, I've got to be realistic. I'm getting older, you know, blah, 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 injuries. I was getting, like I said, unbeknownst to me, the notoriety of, of being the referee. Um, and then it got to a point where the UFC were contacting me. And, and funnily enough, this is mad because everything's it's so weird because everything's so interlinked. My first, um, like I said, I started refereeing in 2004. The, I was only refing for four years before the UFC pulled me in. It was actually three years. So I made my debut as a referee for the UFC in 2008 in Birmingham, of all places, Amazing. in my home city, in Birmingham, of all places. But unbeknownst to a lot of people, it was actually a, a year and a half before that when Michael Bisping first won the Ultimate Fighter and then the UFC thought, right, now we can we can spearhead Europe off the back of Mike. They came back and done an event in Manchester, UFC 75. I was, they brought me in then to, to referee there. And it got to the, the week of the event. And um, I got a phone call and they said, listen, we, we don't want you to come and ref anymore. And I was like, all right, okay, yeah, no drama. And it was because I was still competing. So there was a professional clash of interests. Uh, and then I went away. I had my final, I had two more, I had the final fight. And then I was like, you know, we, we still kept in contact with one another. And I decided, you know, I made a promise to them. I said, look, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm done now. You know, I'm old and my body's broken, blah, 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 blah. And then they said, right, we're coming to your city in uh, 2000, I think, a couple of months before, I think the month was October. I think it was October 2008, UFC 89. And it was uh, Bisping versus Michael Bisping again. He was fighting Chris Lieben. That was my debut for the, for the, for the UFC. I'd already had a four and a bit years of domestic um, uh, refereeing under my belt. And then, boom, from that day on, everything just exploded. 
We always ask fighters about, you know, sort of nerves walking into the octagon. And with that in mind, obviously you've said that, you know, you was doing some of the, the, the smaller shows for other organisations. How did you deal with that first big show of working for the UFC? Was there nerves? And, 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 and talk us through to, obviously, we all saw you last weekend in, you know, the, we've seen you in so many, like, huge fights, like... How do you sort of compute that and deal with the, you know, the weight of expectation of what you have to do when you're in there? Before you, before you answer the question about the, um, that nerves for that first fight in the UFC, can I also just ask, what was the time difference between being offered the ultimate fighter and then refing your first fight in the UFC? How long of a gap was there between those two things happening? I can't remember. I wasn't offered the ultimate fight. I went for the... I oh, remember you went for the, the auditions for the ultimate yeah, fight. Ah, I okay. the auditions and they wanted, because obviously the success that Michael had, they're thinking, we want more bricks. Yes. So I was never... I never got to the stage where, right, I'm going into the house, but it got to the stage where they like, and they pulled me in. I remember the guy, Corin, the guy who was doing the, the audition and stuff, and it was a bit weird because obviously it's a TV show, right? First and foremost, about fights, but I remember them like when they were trying to get me to ham it up a little bit. You know, it was a bit manufactured. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. you know what? This ain't for me. But so, would you have said no if they had they offered it to you? Would you have said no? I don't know. You know what? I don't know because I thought, what? How how old would I have been at the time? Mid thirties, um, early to mid thirties. I was working. You know, I had a full time job. Because I'd never, that's another thing when I was competing and stuff, I, you know, we weren't full-time athletes back then. It was kind of just like a thing of the past. So I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. But like I said, it comes back to fate again. I didn't. Yeah. It didn't happen. But it took me on the journey that I believe I was meant to go on. Yeah. Sorry, Stu, I totally stepped on your question there. I know, I know you'll never forgive me, but I just really wanted to clarify. There was that like, piece of the puzzle at that bit. I was like, I still need to just know this bit. Um, but yeah, so I stepped on your question there, Stu. Sorry about that. All good, mate. All good. So yeah, sorry. To go back to your, if I remember your question rightly. Yeah, coming, you mean, how did I feel the first UFC that I went into? Yeah, I just wonder how you, you know, how that first kind of step up into, you know, the, the biggest organisation and, you know, th- knowing that it was, a, a, you know, a step up uh, for you. And, and, I, and I guess that's in, in the world of mixed martial arts, UFC's the, the pinnacle, isn't it? You know, and I, and I think... Absolutely. And, and so to then do that, like, how was... What, do you get, did you get nervous? And is that something you've, you know, if you did, can you, can, you know, have you learned to sort of deal with? Because... As I said, we've now seen you, you know, ref arguably some of the, the, the biggest fights in, in, in UFC. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember distinctly the, the first time, obviously, when I ref the UFC. Um, nerves, yeah. It's, not, it's more like, um, it's like a heightened sense of awareness. You, you, you do get nerves, but obviously I was so confident because... You know, everybody, I came up through the sport. I was a martial artist. I was a fighter. I was all these things that doesn't always necessarily translate. But I was so confident and comfortable in the fact that I was on the right path and I was in my journey. And it's funny because it's kind of almost unheard of because when I made my debut for them, they actually gave me two fights on the televised card, like the main card, which was kind of unheard of, you know. 
in like nowadays when if you see a new referee or a regional ref come through um they'll, they'll kind of break them in slowly for want of a better description but yeah you get the sense of awareness um and you know nerves but it's kind of it's kind of like when you go back to compete if you if you didn't feel if you weren't heightened um or mentally aroused should i say then there's something wrong you know because you you need to have anticipation of and an understanding of what you're about to do and, and yeah and make no mistake about it I've stood in a stadium with 60,000 people, you know, on the other side of the world. You're doing a world championship fight. You best believe my ass knows what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I know what, you best believe my ass knows what's going on. And, and, and when, like when you're doing, I remember like with, like when you used to do the ultimate fighter and then you go from a crowd into a super concentrate, you look out and then Lorenzo and Dana and, you know, they're two foot away from you. That, that also gives another dimension. But, you know, even, even now after all these years, you know, I'm in my 17th year as a ref, um, even now and so many thousands of fights in, in more countries than I care to remember Yes, you, you still I still get that same buzz and that same, you know, uh, adrenaline, but that's what makes you alert. That's what makes you perform. And and if it got to the time where I didn't have that, there would be something drastically wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um the, the refs kind of uh coming in and being kind of pushed like like slowly in, in, in and, and taking fights on like uh the prelims and stuff like that. There has been situations, one particular one I can think of of, of late, between, where there was the fight between Paul Craig and Jamal Hill, where uh, a referee is brought in by a commission. And this seems to happen a lot in America. And obviously, I, I only know so much about this stuff, and hopefully you can kind of enlighten all the listeners about this. But it seems like there's the, the refs that you see all the time, like yourself and... Uh, at one point, big John McCarthy, I know he's not there now, but uh, Herb Dean, Jason Herzog, people like Mark Smith, all that. The, the people that we go, oh, we know this ref, you know, Beltran as well. Like, we know these refs. And then there's ones that you see sometimes you go, I don't know who that is. But they do seem to sometimes get into a decent spot. And yet that particular fight and that particular ref, I don't know whether it'd be bad etiquette to, to name them or not, but you know, Jamal Hill's arm dislocates, the ref doesn't stop the fight early or, or, or on, at that moment and lets it go on and stuff. And then there are media outlets in America that were saying that was a local ref that is known for not actually being the best or known for when that person's refing, stuff can sometimes go wrong. Is it frustrating for you to see refs that commissions put in that maybe aren't the ones that the UFC would necessarily pick? Or is it the case that the fans and media outlets don't necessarily know what they're talking about and are maybe being slightly unfair to a ref they just don't recognise? Um, if you take the last portion of your statement there, fans being unfair to refs, well, that's a fucking unequivocal yes because <laughs> even, even guys listen even guys they do know not just guys they don't know yeah. but look I'll surmise it like this when a fighter goes to the UFC you won't see him in a title fight in his first two or three fights will you mm. they'll work up and they'll get experience yeah. 
and there's levels to this. There's levels to fighting. It's exactly the same when it comes to being an official. There's levels to being an official. And if you are not at that level, which is fine, you know, if you're not at that level, if you're not used to being at that level, if you don't get the repetitions, then unfortunately when you get presented with a tricky instance and the spotlight's on you and there's 20,000 rabid fans going wild and, and you can't distinguish, you don't have the clarity of mind to distinguish what's happening right in front of you, you're going to get caught out. And I've saw a lot of instances and a lot of examples of that um, over the years. Um, but that's the best way I can surmise it, you know, that there's levels to this. And it's, you know, when fighters come in and work their way to a advantageous and, and you know, righteous position, it's exactly the same for referees. It takes us years, years and years and years of consistent, you know, competent, and that's another word, you know, the, it's okay going out there and doing something all the time, but if you're not very good at it and, and someone's not checking you, and that's not what I'm, I'm saying about, I know the referee in person in the instance you're talking about, but sometimes it's the sense of occasion that just catches you out because right. if you're not used to that, if you're not used to being in that dimension in your mind and, and you're not subject to that on a very regular basis, you're going to get caught out. And that's that's exactly what happened. Unfortunately, it's what happened. Yeah. Mark, I want to kind of um, see if you'll give us a peek behind the curtain of, of, of how it works insofar as you how does how is it when you the ufc get in touch and go right ufc 264 uh we want you know we want you um do you know in advance what fights you're going to be refing it depends like obviously um in certain states in the u.s california new york nevada sometimes you'll see a week or two before the fights they will announce a title fight um, judge and ref because that's the way they do it there it's their jurisdiction they'll kind of have a hearing and what it does is it will allow the camps and stuff like like if a camp heard a certain judge or they may object to it or say you know you know we want to request a change or this that and the other so when it comes to title fights in some certain states you'll know in advance for all other fights and, and in many other countries and other states you won't know until you get there. And when I say get there, I mean at the arena on the night, an hour or two before, which is the best way. It's cool, you know, because, you know, I'll try and say to upcoming referees and stuff, you know, it's not, you can't attach yourself to anything. That's the difference in, in, in this game, you know, when, when you're climbing through the ranks. Obviously, you have to be competent. You have to understand what's happening and, and, and understand the art as, as, as a whole. But the mental aspect of, of, of what you do, <clears throat> that's what people can't realise or grasp, you know, without being competent. It's like anything, you know. You can't explain to somebody the first time of this or you're with a woman or you take drugs or you do this, you do that, you get a particular feeling. Without being condescending, if you haven't done it, it's kind of hard to put it into words. Um, and yeah, like I said, so yeah, I, I hope that answers what you you know what you were saying. It's the end. Well, I, I, 
I was interested because I, I, I saw an interview with you where you were saying that you know you'd you'd position yourself in in the octagon. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. You'd, you'd position yourself in the octagon if like if you knew that somebody liked throwing inside low kicks and things like that. You'd position because you wanted to see if there was going to be like a groin shot or something like that, where you'd kind of position because you understood their style. So when you find that you're getting them fights on the night, is that kind of first like? minute of that fight you working out how these fighters fight and where you know how that then translates to where you're best positioned correct yeah because obviously if i fight you you know the certain fighters you'll know you know you'll know he's an orthodox and this guy's a southpaw so i know how they're going to change but then you'll get sorry you'll know how they're going to shape up but then you'll get other guys who'll come out and they'll switch stances and obviously with mma you're up down you're left and right you're clinching you're grappling you're striking things change you know like in, in, in the drop of a hat so it's just having that awareness if you like you know and, and the capacity to to put yourself in the, in the best possible position that should something and, and it's not just about assessing fouls it's just that you know you know as a referee you're kind of you know you're literally trying to watch where every single thing lands look, look at what happened last weekend you know in the I don't know if you saw but with the the Gilbert Burns and um uh, Stephen yeah. Thompson fight at the very last and this is what you know MMA it's such a it's such a weird sport it's beautiful but it but it's weird because in the last 10 seconds you'll see Gilbert's like in a seated man position and then Obviously, he's going to work with his, he's, he's throwing, you know, a, a series of, of, of hammer fist and punches. Obviously, I'm right there. I'm in the moment. I'm, I'm in my zone. I know what I'm doing. But obviously, unbeknownst to me, the world and his dog watching on the angle that they're watching on, they're losing their shit because he thinks he's been punched in the back <laughs> of the head. And, and he's like, you know, and then I actually put something on Twitter. I actually put, because there was a slow motion clip that one of my friends sent to me and it's like, and I come out and everyone's like, oh my, did you see all the shots to the back of the head? And I'm like, no. No, no, I didn't see the shots to the back of the head because I'm two foot away from it and watching, oh, he punched him in the back of the head 10 times. And I'm like, let's get the fuck out of it. What are you talking about? You know, it's it's just, it's crazy things like that. That just, like I said, when, when I referee, I'm, I'm in another dimension. I'm in a complete other dimension. It's a blessing and a curse, you know, because I get paid. It's mad because my I get paid to notice things that other people don't. And sometimes I can't turn that off. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and, and like, it's, sometimes it's a bit of, um, it, like I said, it's a blessing and a curse, but I wouldn't swap it for the world. So, I mean, I, I was actually going to ask you about all that because... I watched it uh, live on like a, a fight companion thing and was basically up for 24 hours. So I was bleary eyed as it was. Were but you with I, the guys? Were you with um, the guys at MMA on point? I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I don't know. They're good guys, man. They're great guys. Yeah, they're really. So we had a great time. So it was uh, like Jason and, and uh, Bailey and the, the esports guy. And then uh, Paddy Pimblett was there as well. Yeah, so we, yeah. we, we had a lovely time on that. But I have to say, watching it live, I went, oh, you know, if that's like Eddie Alvarez in one championship, that's a disqualification right there. I mean, that was, you know, that that did look like back of the head stuff because you're watching it live. It's all happening so quickly. And then the thing you put out on Twitter, I saw it and I was like, oh God, yeah, no, it's like, it's all like the shoulder or the back or like whatever it is. There's, there's not those shots, but 
But you watch it live and you're quite intense and you're like, and also what I think didn't help in terms of people getting a bit up in arms is that everyone fucking loves Wonderboy. Wonderboy is everyone's like, in, his, in their top two or three favourite fighters. They might be a Connor guy or a Khabib great, guy. Yeah, exactly. Guy. They might be a Connor guy or a Khabib guy, but Wonderboy's in their top three for everyone. It doesn't matter where you stand. And so you're like, oh, no, he's getting the back of the head. And don't worry, I, I didn't say anything bad. I was just like, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm saying that now in case we ever meet and you're like, Blake, you said something really fucking bad about me. <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> but no, but I, I did think, oh, shit, that did look like a bit like the back of the head. And then I watched your thing on Twitter and you're like, oh, no, it's, it's not. So how, how is social media for you in general? Because I think referees in any sport get a lot of crap. Football. MMA, whatever it is, everyone's telling you you've done your job wrong or you don't know what you're doing. But what people don't always understand is how damaging social media and stuff can be to people. So I was going to ask you, A, how do you deal with the kind of the trolls and the people making those mistakes? But also B, how do you stay mentally strong with it? Because it, it doesn't take much for someone to say, Blake, you're a shit actor. You only play Cockney idiots for me to go, oh, I feel really bad now. And, you know, Sorry about all... that, man. I was, yeah. I was drunk. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm yeah. He's ripping me all the time. I need to put out a restraining order on Stu. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, how, how do you deal with that? Because I think, you know, as you say, you know, people look at you and say you're a big guy, but, you know, uh, mentally we're all vulnerable to a point. There's only so much you can take in terms of negativity and abuse and stuff, you know? So how do you find all of that? Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to unpack it into, into different parts, but yeah, like the, the, look, here's the thing. First and foremost, as a referee in any sport, you're on the plate, you know, you're on the mantle and every man and his dog is going to have an opinion. That's, you can't get away from that, which is fine. Well, actually, no, it's not fine, you know, because I have a distinct difference between, and it's what actually, I reckon if I didn't have the life journey that I did um, and go down the route, because obviously I teach a lot, you know, I still teach um, in martial arts and obviously I teach officials too. So you, you kind of stop for a minute and you get to, you know, stand back or look, you know, step to the left and you're looking almost like looking back in on yourself and it, and it forces you to, to look at things differently. And, and dare I say, if I hadn't had this, you know, journey in my life, I'd probably be like one of those opinionated people on, on, on social media too. But there's a, you know, there's like shades of grey, you know, and obviously there's a big difference between having, having an opinion, you know, somebody says, you know, and it's okay to disagree, that's fine. But then there is an educated opinion, you know. Yeah. I'm far more... I'd rather be more correlated to somebody that's, you know, and, and it's not, you know, like I said, it's one of those things. People say, oh, I'm entitled to my opinion. Okay, fine. I don't argue with them, but I don't agree with that. And then you've got the other side of the coin, which is the straight up abuse, which it's funny because I've, I've had a thousand and one detractors, but I ain't met a single one. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. it's funny that I'm still waiting for the one guy who approached me at a show or shout at me hey God I, do you, I, I just want somebody to say to me to my face what they typed 
on, on Twitter or they type on, you know, Instagram, because then I'll be like fucking Eric Cantona. I'll be straight over the top. <laughs> <laughs> you might know one day when I've had enough, if I decide to go straight into row one over the valley and think, oh, God, he's had enough. Maybe one of the guys has spoke up. But yeah, look, you know, we joke about it because I kind of have to because, you know, this is not for everyone. Um, it's not for everybody. Um, and like you said, when, when it's okay when people say this, that, and the other about you. As a, Say what you want about me. But sometimes, like, that's why if you see on my social media, I don't have my family, I don't have my kids, stuff like that, because I can't, because I've had my, you know, I've had people target with, with my family and my kids and stuff, and I'm like, you know, what the fucking hell? It's That side of it's brutal, you know? Yeah. But you just gotta you've you've gotta put it in a space in your mind that, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. You know, I I could play a blinder uh, as as an official. And and I don't think society's any different. You know, that's the point I'm gonna say. I don't think we as a society, in terms of the way people are to one another, I don't think we're any different now. It's just the fact that social media allows us to to see it and feel it and read it. Mm, so what I'm saying is 20 years ago, if you're watching a live sport, are you telling me, so you mean, here we go, let's just go back 20 years. Let's not go too far. 20 years before Facebook or Twitter, and you got um, 30,000, 40,000 people in a football ground and the referee makes a call. What do you think they're going to, and they don't like it. What do you think they're going to say? Oh, bad luck, mate. You know, that's, uh, no. they were saying those things back then. Yeah. It's just that we couldn't get to read them in front of us and we couldn't get to see them on a daily basis. What social media has allowed, unfortunately, is those the bad elements of society and the bad things to be thrust into somebody's hand, you know? And people say, oh, you shouldn't read it, you're this, that, and the other. But sometimes you've got to read it to get yeah. rid of it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just... Look, you've got to be mentally strong, and I am mentally strong. And like I said, I laugh about it because I'm like, you know, I've almost gone on to say Twitter, I'm begging just one of you, one of you come and tell me. <laughs> just one of you come and tell me because I know you're not going I know you'll never do it again. But uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I just haven't had the opportunity of doing that. But, yeah, social media – Look, it's brutal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you look at the, you know, look at the, the England footballers. And, Horrendous, and what, wasn't it? Oh, so fucked up. You, you know, you almost think to yourself, and I do. Like, I've had some real, I've had some bad stuff over the years. Bad stuff, like you know, when when it gets to your wife, but your children in, in particular, you know. And I'm like, you 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 you've, you've just got to put it in a place mentally that you know because sometimes you see them unbeknownst and you're like oh fuck it you know and but you've already read it do you know what i mean of course you don't want to respond to this that and you're just like you've just got to park it and sweep it off mm. and unfortunately you know i've had a couple of higher profile altercations shall, shall, shall we say um and, and again you know the deluge and the fallout of that it's it yeah i mean you've, you've just got to put it in a place and that's what people do not understand. When, you know, when you get to this level uh, of, of being in a fit, and it's just, look, it's the same for fighters too. You know, it's not just directed at us. Mm. You, you'll see some of the the stuff that the fighters get. You know, when we're not famous, ref, referees and officials, 
yes, people may know is in a, if you follow a certain sport or you have an interest in a, a certain genre, you know, people will know who you are. But the fighters and, and the real stars of the sport, you know, it's, um, I, I, I feel sorry for them because it's, it's incessant and, and unfortunately it knows no bounds. But what are they going to do about it, you know? I mean, what can they do about it? You know, I heard yesterday watching the news and and Boris is going, oh, you know, we're we're vehemently against and you know we you know, we don't do you know we we cannot con, um, condone these people on social media. Okay, that's fine, that, that's great. But what are you going to do about it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You telling me in 2021 with technology as it is, we can't. And I'm not saying if you suddenly verified everybody's identity and account, it's going to stop because you you do get some complete fucking morons who are happily, you know, standing yeah. up for who they who they believe they are, and they'll just say is the people they are. But I think we should, you know, as a society and, and these, you know, big tech companies, they need to do something to to try and limit it because. Not everybody's going to deal with it as you do. Not everybody's maybe going to be as mentally strong and, 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 and that's the thing that we can't account for, right? Yeah. And, we, well, and we've seen totally. examples. That's their yeah. corporate responsibility. Yeah, and we've seen examples of it as well, people unfortunately hurting themselves or taking their own lives because of the kind of abuse within the media, but also social media as well. And I mean, it's funny you mentioned that whole verification thing because there was a petition going around that I actually forwarded and signed and, and put up myself on my own uh, like Twitter page about verifying your identity to get a social media account. I had some people coming at me saying I was quote unquote sleepwalking into communism and all this kind of stuff, which I don't even really understand what that means. But the point is, is that I I would rather go, I think people will be saved and helped by not having all these fake accounts, all these bots, because a lot of them are that. A lot of them, I think, are people with their own normal accounts that they keep, you know, humane. And then they create these other accounts just to troll people. And in their minds, trolling is a bit of fun. But what they don't realize is they might troll the wrong person that will then believe it or lead to them hurting themselves or something. And, and, and so, yeah, so I'm actually in favor of that. I would rather see these big companies make sure people get verified. I wonder if they don't do it because there's so many fake accounts and bots out there that I wonder if, um, you know, say say the world, apparently say there's 10 million people on Twitter. I'm rounding the numbers up for the, or down for the sake of my terrible maths. But say there's 10 million people on Twitter. If you took away all the fake accounts and bots and made people verify their own accounts, there may only be 3.5 million people on Twitter or 5 million people on Twitter or even 8 million. But it's a lot less. So they lose money, they lose ad revenue, they lose all that stuff. And I wonder if that's got a part to play in it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's funny you said about, somebody said to you about you're, you're walking into communism. And uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what that means. And, I'll, and I'm in favour of it because 
some of the societies and cultures and countries that we mock, Middle East, Far East, Russia, etc. Go and try and step out of line over there. Go and try and be, a, a, you know, the kind of person you are over there and see what happens because it won't be tolerated. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that comes with society as it is. We're free to do what we like, when we like, and the vast, the biggest, by, by a country mile, the vast majority of us people are just normal people with, 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 a, with an intact range of emotions. And if I see something that I don't like, I'm like, what does it take in your mind to see something or have a feeling about somebody? Look that person up on a social media account and then message them your, you know, your, you know an abusive message. What the fuck is going on in, in, in your head or what's going yeah. on in your life apart from, apart from nothing, you know, you know, to go and do that. I just, I, I don't know. I am a bit more traditionalist in, in, in hardlined in that way. I think we should, you know, society has a lot to answer for um, in, in the way in which we've, um, you know, morphed and, and, and changed over the years. And even, even thinking back, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not contradicting because what I'm saying is, even as a kid, you know, society seems rougher now. It seems more dangerous, right? It does. Yeah. Because when we're in a kid, we have these nostalgic things of, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, you, how old you are. I'm, 20, I'm, I'm 25, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest <laughs> laugh of the show. <laughs> but, you're, but you're 36. I'm 36 now, yeah. How 48. Old are you, 48. Right, so we're, we're, there's a year in it for us. You know, but like they said, you know, when we were kids, we did go out, didn't we? We went out yeah. and it was, you know, and I came back when it was dark. I didn't speak. All of them memes are so true. It's true, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, so maybe maybe I am maybe I am too, you know, nostalgic. Maybe I am categori- categorically wrong and society is very much different today. Or maybe it's just a case of we're all so fucking scared and everybody's, you know, because we have this constant barrage of, what I'm saying is, is back in the day, if something bad happened, unless you picked up a local newspaper or you watched the news, you wouldn't hear about it. Now, when something bad happens, you've got it within five seconds, mm. you know, anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country. So you're kind of force-fed this. I don't know where I'm going with this, but... No, no, I think I... I, 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 I get you. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there was... I, I saw something... I don't know if it was like, again, some kind of meme or if it was from a book i think so i don't know if someone was telling me about it it certainly wasn't a book i read because <laughs> i only listened to audiobooks by uh dan hardy and michael bisping uh <laughs> but i i was basically like it, they were basically saying like what would it have been like if social media was around during world war one like during the great war seeing all of those atro- can you imagine having all of the atrocities and all of that death and destruction beamed to your person being at home and knowing that all these young 17, 18, 19-year-old lads were dealing with what they were dealing with during the Great War and all that kind of stuff. And across all of Europe, I'm not just talking about the British, but the German as well, and the, all those factors. What would it have been like? Would that war have carried on as long? Would the, the politicians have been able to use that whole thing of like, come on, you, you, you'll achieve glory and all this stuff? It's, it's, it's not glory. It's, it's just death and destruction and just awfulness, just constantly. And you kind of wonder, what would the world have been like had you been able to see that stuff earlier, but then 
I, I, I don't know. I don't even know where I've gone with this now. We're starting to get on to I was going to say, I mean, that, that, what you said there, yeah, it's a fucking, it, it's a sobering thought and a frightening thought, but how the fuck did we get here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a light-hearted MMA oh, no, chat. Man. Everyone's listening to this going, what's happened? Have we tuned into LBC? What's going on? <laughs> well, uh, you, you, you touched on like uh, um, altercations um, and things like that. And I'm not uh, asking you directly. I'm, t- I'm going to ask you about referees in general. You know, should there be altercations or should there be um, a decision or a stoppage that gets thrust into the media and gets a reaction and, you know, and, and, and can, can sort of hang heavy on your mind or, or, you know, other referees' minds? Does that have any impact or does it affect more, I think I should say, you or any other ref refereeing that fighter again in the future? Um, yeah, yeah, it would. And, and I'll tell you for why. Because um, obviously I've just came back from Vegas and, um, you know, kind of fought in Vegas again. Um, I, I used to, I've ref kind of quite a, quite, quite a few times in the past uh, as he was coming up. Um, and then obviously, you know, people know that there was a an instance, shall we say. Um, yeah. That was a, a, was that a Bellator event where he, just in case listeners don't know, you'd ref the fight that involved one of yeah. his like, stable yeah. mates yeah. or friends or something like that. And he jumped into the cage. Either was, I don't know if a decision was made on the, like the, the finance. Yeah. The, the, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what had, had happened, but he jumped into the cage effectively, didn't he? When he yeah. was supposed to be an audience. Uh, yeah. To surmise, yeah, he thought the fight was over. He's celebrating with his friend. And obviously at that point, I hadn't called the fight. And then, um, you know, look, it's well documented. They, they, they can go and look it up. Yeah, but, but the point it, I'm making is obviously, you know, and I kind of I swore it to my wife, you know, I said, and and I've said to the re- the regulators, even if you know it's common sense, it's common sense. That's why you won't see me referee Connor, you know, because it's common sense not to, um, because it's just not worth it. But if, if the instance, you know, like I said, if if Herb Dean rolled his ankle and he couldn't ref, I still wouldn't do it, you know, because going back to the social media thing and, and, you know, the reality of this is we just <laughs> not saying we, you know, we don't get, you know, we don't get paid enough money, but it's just, I, I, I just, I would not put myself in the position to have, 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 you know, had I had to make a professional call that went against him, you would, I could not convey to you and the people that are listening I'd have to close my accounts, you know. I've had it before with a, with a particular fighter um, who, who was, you know, he's still on a campaign. Um, and, you know... I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's just... And this is where I think the sport lets us down, you know, because as officials, we're not meant to speak. Yeah. And, and But there's only... You know what I mean? I'm a human being. And, yeah. and there's a threshold there, you know. And uh, like I said, this is not... You know, five, five weeks, five months, five. This is a seventeen-year span for me. Can't come back to Derek Cantona thing again. But yeah, look, there's there's certain things about. Look, I'm a professional. You know, I'm older. I'm wiser. And you just, you just, you know, life's fucking hard enough, isn't it? And you just want to make. You know, you want to. I want to turn up. It's MMA's been my life, and martial arts has, and. 
You know, I love this thing and I was doing this before anyone knew what it was and, and I was making, you know, like I said, people think that you want to do this. It, it's it's kind of hilarious, you know, like all the old, all the things that are baked in, oh, he wants to be on camera, this, that, and the other. I want to be on camera. You, you fucking moron. <laughs> before the fight starts... I'm the guy that's six foot three, dressed in black, right in the middle, front and centre. On the, I can't not be on the camera. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> when I hear that thing, but it's so funny. It's so. Oh, he just wants to. He just wants to be on the camera. He wants to get involved, and it's just like it's mad. You know, <laughs> you would lose your mind. Honestly, take it from me. If you try and make sense of it, you'll go out of your mind. And, and, you know, you can't, you just, the world's a crazy place right now. But but I'll tell you this, you know, it goes back to every, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back because you've got to be, there's a certain analogy that I use. You might have you know, seen it on Twitter and I call it the dog shit analogy because when I go for a picnic in the park, am I going to, oh, there's a nice steaming pot of dog shit. Am I going to set my blanket down right next to it? No, I'm not. I'll just pretend I've never seen it and I'll walk 10 metres over to the right or the left and I'll put my blanket down and and get on with, you know, having a nice picnic in, in a nice clean piece of grass, you know, with the missus and kids. And I kind of use the same analogy when it comes to what when you pick up and you see things like that. So the analogy would be me responding. And once in a while, once in a while, I like to light up a fall. Put it that way. There's, there's some comments that are just too good to miss. And I kind of, you know, I might retweet somebody with a little bit of this or a little bit of that, and then and then Twitter will take over. Um, but I kind of use that analogy, you know, I say like the dog shit analogy, you've 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 got to remain optimistic and you've got to be positive. And there's so much negativity in and around us, you know, like I said, and I think there is there is an element of choice on what you want to react to and what you want to participate in um and yeah i mean uh, i was trying to remember what we're saying before that but I, I kind of that that's that's the the mindset i mean when i see all these negative things i have to i've got no choice but to um you know park it and just turn away and walk in the other direction because if you didn't I'd be picking up dog shit every day. And who wants to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you, you touched on um, this weekend just gone. And I, I've got another question for you. But I know, Blake, did you ever, did you want to ask about um, the O'Malley fire? Well, I did, but I'm also very aware we have really, I, I feel like we could talk to you for about five <laughs> hours, Mark, to be honest. And I know we're really short on time because you, you've been with us for a okay. long time and we're really thankful for that. Um, so, but um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, with the O'Malley fight uh, against uh, Chris Moutinho, I've heard conflicting things and it's one of those things, I think I know what your answer might be, but it's that thing of like, the fighter's health taking priority at all times, which is exactly what I think any ref and any fan should be thinking. But I couldn't help but finding myself, and I've heard other ju- journalists, uh, I say other journalists, I'm not a journalist, I don't know why I'm trying to say I'm a journalist, <laughs> trying to give myself credibility, I've got none. Um, but I, I, I've heard some journalists and some uh, like fans and media members saying that 
it was a good stoppage. And I've heard others, and it's been 50-50 really, saying that Chris Moutinho was robbed of like a moral victory because that fight could have been stopped much earlier, but instead it was allowed to go on to just before maybe he could have pulled off that moral victory. And I have to say, I fell into that category myself. And I found myself thinking back to the Calvin Cater Max Holloway fight, where I was like, if Chris Moutinho's been stopped, surely the Max Holloway Calvin Cater fight should have been stopped because it yeah. felt very similar. Uh, that, you know, one fighter was taking an awful lot of damage. And the other was just kind of styling on them for want of maybe a better expression. I wanted to get your opinion on how, how did you think the stoppage was? And I don't know if you may, you know, I, I don't want you to cr- criticize another referee or anything like that um, necessarily. But um, also, d- does that ever come into your mind, this idea of a quote unquote moral victory for someone? Is, and, and can you see where fans or, or people were coming from when they do think, oh, there was only 20 odd seconds left. Get, let, give him the chance to, to go to a decision. Or are you just like, no, anyone thinking that is an idiot because you're giving this guy an extra 20 odd seconds worth of, of head trauma? Um, no, I don't think that fans are idiots, um, by and large. <laughs> <You know? laughs> by and large, I don't think that fans are idiots. Um, but it would be wrong of me to say that there isn't a fair proportion of them that, you know, yeah. in society as a whole, not just MMA fans. So, so let's be fair. Um, guilty here's the thing obviously right in the realms of professionalism too you know obviously I was not the referee in that fight and I wasn't the one who was in there looking at the whites of the eyes to make that call you know that that was Herb Um, and you know look what I will say you know I'll park it and what I will say is you know when when a referee makes a call like that for that reasons the first thing you've got to understand and you best believe is that it's made with nothing but the the best of intention, you know, because a referee may mm. think of that fight or a, a, another fight that's looking the same way. If they believe that a fighter is in a, in, in a position of being compromised um, and they don't want to, you know, exasperate that or take it any further, then they're going to make that call. Um, I'm not reluctant to, to, I'm not reluctant to, to talk about other referees, you know, decisions and stuff. But I think it's unfair of me to do it, you know, because I'm not the referee in that match. I'll talk about my decisions all day long, um, but but I'm sure you can appreciate, you know. You know, I did, I did speak to Herb afterwards, only very briefly, but but Herb is the guy who saw what he saw in that fight, and 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 he made his decisions in that fight to to, to do what he did, and, and like I said, you know. That's the be-all and end-all in this. I think the takeaway from this is when a referee is doing that and erring on the side of caution and making a decision based on a fighter's health and safety, yes, it's going to please one half of the room and it's going to piss the other half off. You know, generally, like we're, we're, sometimes when I get a lot of fans, if I've made a call in a fight and they're like, you fuck, you, got, you fucking bum, you're the worst ref ever, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, come on, how much you lost? How much have you lost? if I messed up your accumulator because that's what that's generally what people will do a, a lot of the disgruntlement yeah. obviously media are not like that but without going around the houses um, I would on a professional basis I'll reserve myself because I would rather talk about fights that I know inextricably well 
and you know, and uh, and the decisions that I would make in those fights. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Fair enough. That does, and that's absolutely fair enough. I almost felt awkward asking you the question to yes, us. I was like, man, oh, it's just fair, okay to ask or no, whatever. But no, but that's a great answer. Ask. Thank you. Look, what's the adage? You know, if you don't, and if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And you can ask me anything. But I reserve the right to reply. Well. I've got one more question for you, yeah. Mark. And we've uh, the, the, the three of us have got a mutual friend in Scribius Pip, um, and I know that he done your refereeing seminar, uh-huh. uh, and he spoke very highly of it. Um, I mean, how did that that sort of things come about? And is that something that you're passionate to invest your time into, to with, with the goal of educating people as to different levels of understanding? Uh, the sport and to to you know the future goal of bringing through referees as well massively you know that's so this is my life you know professionally obviously you know taking my personal side to that after after my personal side my family this this is my life you know it's 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 what it's what feeds my children you know mix mix mixed martial arts and martial arts in general like i said it and you know i'm i'm very I'm very fortunate, you know, I, I, I keep those things close to me. It's it's taken me around the world twice, you know, and, and got me to meet some of the most amazing people in my life, took me to countries I probably would would, would not have seen. And I'm invested in this sport on, on every level. And obviously, first, you know, first and foremost, or, or a major part of that is on officials training. And I kind of... I've, I'm, I'm almost duty bound, you know, of, of my own volition to, to 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 try and take that forward, and I want to try and educate as many people as possible. More to the point, like you know, I've got in trouble in the past, like from from certain regulators because there's this old adage, you know, I think it's an absolutely ridiculous, archaic idea when they say if you don't talk about the fights and don't talk about your decisions. No, don't tell me that I cannot offer professional commentary on something I may or may not have done. And I'll use the example of what we've just done two minutes ago. You asked me a question on another official, and I said it's not fair on a professional basis for me to answer. But you can ask me something on me, and I'll answer it all day long because I'm the best-placed person to answer that. So when it comes to – if I go to talk about this sport – on a professional basis and uphold the professionalism, the integrity, how dare you tell me that I can't do that? You know, when you've got the world and its dog that's barking at you, like a small, a perfect example was um, um, the, 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 the Gilbert Burns and Wonderboy fight, you know, because of the, obviously the, the watching audience at home around the world, how many millions of people are watching it, they are seeing the angle that I'm seeing. And of course, they're jumping up and down because all they see is Wonderboy's head and Gilbert's hand disappearing behind it. And they think, fucking, he's fucking punching his head. He's punching the back of his head. That's a perfect example. Now, if I come out of that fight, and yes, you know, it's up to me. You know, I'll, I'll get a thousand and one questions and I have, but I'll choose the right moment and the right time and the right question that I want to answer, should I want to do it, and bring something to light to help it's not about exonerating myself. And that's what people think. It's about trying to, you know, offer fairness. You know, like I said, in, in that moment, you know, everybody, there's only one person on the planet that has the importance of understanding what he's seeing and dealing with, and that was me. 
Everybody else, it doesn't matter. It's me. Because if something untoward happened, then I would be the person that would have to deal with it. And of course, the watching world, they're looking at something. Number one, they don't know what the back of the head is as a definition. Yeah. Number two, they've got a bad angle. And number three, another referee of 17 years that does this on a weekly basis going around the world. You're kind of outnumbered. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do want to I, I do want to try my best all the time. And look, I'm a human being. I'm not Superman. I've made mistakes before. I'll probably make mistakes again. The difference with me is I will talk about them. I, I will, I've publicly owned up to mistakes, which is kind of like, it's like a massive, tell me another sport in which you'll see that. You won't because they're so fearful of the, of the hierarchy. And like I said, I've got in trouble. It's, it's cost me work before. And I'm like, well, you know what? If it's cost me work, that's fine. Because if I want to be forthright and, and be honest to, to somebody and try and help this sport, don't forget, we're a young sport. We're not football. We're not boxing. We're not 100, 150, 200 years old. For one of a better description, you know, we're, we're 26, 27 years old. Everybody calm down. Don't lose your shit. We know that MMA did exist before the UFC with Shooter and Pancras and, and Valetudo in, in Brazil, uh, Shooter, Pancras, uh, Japan. But for want of a better description, MMA, as the world knows it now, it's that three-letter acronym, right? You know, you go to a pub and you say to somebody, MMA, they're like, what? You say UFC. Ah, you know, it's Coca-Cola. It's, it's, it's Hoover. People understand the brand. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, just putting that back in. And I, I feel like, I feel, I'm almost like, I feel like a guardian of the sport. You know, Dan Hardy calls me the conscious of, of, of MMA. He the chimney cricket. <laughs> <laughs> the conscious of MMA. And I'll, I will try my level best. I will try my level best. Obviously, I train, I've trained officials all over the globe. And it's one of the most fulfilling things that I do. And if I can bring some education to fans, because that's what it is, you know, like the, the level of ignorance in and around this sport is absolutely astounding. It's astounding. But again, I don't lose faith in that because we're a young sport. A lot of people don't understand it. There's still a lot of people from single disciplines involved with the sport and they're not quite there yet. So if I can do things little you know one by one you know I'm realistic you can't get around everybody but why should I lose you know um what's the word I'm looking for why should I lose you know excitement or you know direction in, in doing what I can when I can to educate people and let them know that you know why certain decisions were made or giving them an update on the unified rules and letting them know that certain things that they're actually thinking are incorrect. I'm not going to stop doing that. Amazing. Mate, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I genuinely feel like I could talk to you all night, but we've got to let you go. We've kept you on here for like over an hour. But uh, we are really appreciative uh, of your time. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for coming on. No worries. No worries, man. We'll do it again sometime. That sounds awesome. We'd love that. Have a lovely evening, Mark. Thank you so much. Nice one, guys. Thanks a lot. What a chat. That was so great, good. wasn't it? What so a brilliant, good. brilliant chat. I, I didn't mean, want we that actually, to end. I didn't want no, that to I end. No, I know. We kind of carried on a little bit after we pressed yeah. record, and I'm kind of gutted we didn't just keep recording. But 
It was one of those ones I genuinely, I had about seven, eight more questions on yeah. my sheet to ask him, but I was really aware of the fact that he, we'd been going for like over an hour and I felt like I could have, and he, he said, I don't know if this was on the podcast or just after we finished recording that he said, you know, he had, he has like a book effectively in his yeah. head of like Memoirs. so many interactions yeah. with fighters, refs coming up as a fighter, all that stuff. I mean, if he releases a book at any point, you you know I'm, that's on my Christmas list. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll I'll be getting a, a Mark Goddard uh, autobiography for sure. I mean, it'd be an audio book, s- wouldn't it? Oh yeah, because I can't read. Yeah, I can't read. This has got to be being, It's got to be in in my ears. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I read enough scripts. I'm not reading frigging books as well. Sorry, guys, not happening. Audio book all the way. Um, <laughs> But um, but yeah, no, oh, it's such a great chat and really great that he, because oh, I was going to ask him about the Gilbert Burns situation. Yeah. And again, I was like, is that okay to ask? Yeah. But then he's put stuff on Twitter, so I thought it's probably all right. And he just came out. I didn't have to yeah. ask him. He openly talked about it. And I 100% agree with him. I think in sport in general and in football as well, I would like to see refs come out and be more accountable. Absolutely. I'd like to see them come out and go, you know, I took a point away because of this or uh, this was a disqualification rather than a no contest because of this or in football, you know, I gave the red card because I saw it like this and whether they're right or wrong, I think fans will respect refs of all sports more if they take the Mark Goddard approach and they say, this is why I did this decision and sometimes it will be wrong but more often than not it will be right. And he's exactly right with that Gilbert Burns thing because I was one of the people going, oh, shit, I think that's the back of the yeah. head. Yeah. And it wasn't. And you see this slow-mo replay from a different angle. There's maybe one strike that I think even Mark admitted on Twitter that was possibly the back of the head. Mm. But the rest of it was all like the back and the top of the shoulder mm. and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, refs out there need to be more like Goddard. Absolutely. Like, you know, I, I know that when we, we, we set this podcast up, we were saying... You know, we'd love to get Mark Goddard on, and yeah, to uh, to, to have actually had that chat now. I'm, I'm still apt. I mean, we've, we should stress we've just this second finished uh, the conversation, and we're, we're doing the intro and the outro now because we're absolutely buzzing and just wanted to harness how much fun we had talking to Mark. He, you know, and you mentioned his book. I mean, he is an open book, and it's felt that you know whatever we asked him, he had such solid, concise intelligent answers for everything and yeah it was it was a real treat to to get that peek behind the curtain and and, and answers to questions that i know that me and you really wanted to know and so yeah. you know i hope that, that the listeners you know if they get a fraction of the joy that uh blake and i are experiencing at the moment then uh, you've had a good listen absolutely absolutely well i suppose is that is that it for today yeah we absolutely done? we're done we're done that's it we'll see you next right, time then. Bye, guys. My ass knows what's going on.